Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Claire Bike, President and Owner of Ascend Consulting EHS, about safety trends for 2023. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Claire Bike, President and Owner at Ascend Consulting EHS. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And, you know, I know who you are, and I think people know who you are, but give us a little bit uh, of a... Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with uh, Ascend. Sure. Um, well, ultimately, it's continuously changing and hopefully improving. But a lot of EHS consulting uh, do your standard um, informal audits, but really it's transitioning into leadership development and teaching about empathetic leadership and culture development, as well as just finding tools to create more retention and ensure that safety is a byproduct of really good leadership, you know? And so really focusing on that right now, but yeah, a lot of what we do. Excellent. Well, I wanted to talk to you today about trends uh, for 2023, but for one to start off and ask you like, what are your impressions of 2022? You know, we're, almost at the year, end of the year here. And, um, you know, obviously uh, you've been busy with lots of things, but, you know, what did you see in terms of, you know, are, are we kind of out of the COVID woods in terms of, you know, getting back to work and stuff like that? Like what, what are some of the things that you saw this year? That is a great question. And I'm still asking what happened to 2022 right now. <laughs> Honestly, there's so much of that that happened that I was, um, I'm wondering where I was for most of it. And I feel like a lot of us are having that same conversation because it was almost as if we went into slow motion for two years during the really thick of COVID. And then we fast forwarded through 2022. Mm -hmm. um, during that time we saw, or at least I, I saw a lot of organizations resisting the remote work, which is um, something that I, I didn't really expect to see happen so quickly. But there's a lot of a lot of pull to get people back into the office uh, to be a part of that brick and mortar, and we're seeing a lot of people really resisting that that shift back into the office. So right now, I think this has been like a testing the temperatures of how we really want to continue doing business mm -hmm. and trying to see if we're going to shift mindsets on how that is expected, what the old ways were, were they working, were they not working when we were at home or is there hybrid options? I mean, honestly, I think people have a lot to think about right now as far as how we are going to conduct business. So. Yeah, like how would you advise, you know, a company that's dealing with that where they've got folks who, you know, have been, I guess, maybe gotten used to working, you know, hybrid or, or completely remotely and now, you know, there's pressure to come back in, you know, and, and those folks don't want to do it. Like, how, how would you advise a company to kind of deal with that? Honestly, it's a, it's more about having the conversation about what is their focus. So re, 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 I don't know, like, re, like shift that, that conversation back to them and say, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And why is it that this is required to be present in the office or not present in the office like are we working against our own our own selves 
and saying, I've always done it this way, therefore I want it done this way, right? And let's pull ourselves out of these biases. Let's pull ourselves out of these heuristics that we assume that this is what we have to do and have to continue to do, or is it, can we really shift the way we're thinking about it and find the benefits in it rather than the negatives or the, the uncomfortableness of what we're experiencing? And a lot of it is being uncomfortable or yeah. I had to do this, so you do too. I had to show right. up every day for work five days a week. I, I mean, conversations around even having a four day week is right, right. shocking for a lot of people too, but not for others. So, yeah. yeah. Have you seen sort of successful examples of companies that have been able to do that to sort of say, hey, let's change the way we do business and let people work from home three days a week or whatever? Like, have you seen that, some examples of that? I think um, I've seen a lot of examples where it's actually working. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think they are giving more of the options to the employees when it's successful. They're giving them the options of this is what we are looking for. We're, we're trying to work this out. Right. And making everybody a part of the process. So instead of being rigid in this is what I want. So this is for, therefore, this is what I'm going to do. They're having the conversation around, Hey, this is what our options are. Our lives are forever changed. We may never go back to what was normal. This is now what we're going to create will be our new normal. And we have that opportunity to do this together. Let's adjust and see how this next six month period goes, right? So there's a grace period that people are doing very successfully um, with bumps in the road. Don't get me wrong. Successful means you fail a lot. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're having these conversations with the teams and it's not just executive level, right? It's different if you're manufacturing. It's different if you're right. construction. Right. And that has to be viewed very much in that same lens. But if you have a lot of office opportunities to work from home, really digging into, hey, let's work together on this. What can we do? And allowing for that space to be, you know, to, to figure it out. It's, it's been successful. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, you know, we had a, an EHS daily advisor exchange in Kansas City a, a little while back, a couple months ago. And, you know, we were talking about sort of that uh, remote hybrid kind of thing. And, you know, somebody brought up the point that, you know, for blue collar jobs, construction, warehousing, like this is an issue because they had to be back to work. They never left work. Like they, they never left it. You know, yeah. so, you know, they're just working. And so like they, you know, because people were talking about, oh, you know, we, we've got a yoga studio now. Like we've do, we're doing all these things to kind of attract employees to get them to want to come back in. And, you know, this guy who works in a warehouse is like, I, I can't relate to that. I mean, we, we just have to come <laughs> in and work. So, I mean, you know, obviously I guess it's knowing your audience, uh, uh, yes. you know, but, and it's, it's very different, you know, blue collar to white collar, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think from, a, um, you know, the standpoint of, you know, trying new things, uh, you know, not everybody is as flexible as others. Right. So right. Uh, I imagine like when you're talking to, uh, you know, you're advising companies, uh, you're probably getting, uh, reactions all across the board in terms of how to deal with this all over the place. And again, it's very specific, like you mentioned, to the type of business that they're doing and running. And when you do come across a 
type of business or organization who does have a lot of opportunity for remote work, it's really surprising when you dig into the reasons why they want people back in the office, the reasons that they actually do come up with. And it's a lot of stuttering at first. There's yeah. a lot of like, well, I'm, that's just how business works, right? And it, it's, it's like, but does it? Like, have yeah. we really expended all of our options before you say something along those lines so yeah like i've heard you know well you know we need to have face-to-face -face meetings it's like but we're literally like on video calls eight times a day i mean how much more face-to-face -face you, you know i don't need to be breathing on you to get my point across so. <laughs> exactly but i i mean we we can never discount that um, benefit of face-to-face -face or the hallway yeah. conversation yeah. or the connections that we make be that happen when we're not just on camera but at the same time does it need to be every single day right. or does it need to be in a certain um, setting or atmosphere can it be where and these conversations again very uncomfortable very very awkward a little so and I imagine that companies are also, you know, they're thinking about the bottom line. We're paying for this office space. <laughs> it's not cheap. Exactly. And yep. damn it, I want people in the office. But, uh, you know, I mean, yep. you've just got to, you know, it's not going to work for everybody, right? Yeah, the way we pivot in order to meet the demand of what we're looking at for our workforce and for the people is really going to shape how successful we come out on the other side of each one of these opportunities. So where we're seeing some people really dig in the heels and that might work for them and they may get a group of employees that that's what they want too but the way you market how that works for you is going to make the difference yeah it's about messaging right i mean it's kind of like whether you're dealing with people who are coming in or, or staying at home uh i imagine that like you know all the talk of safety culture it's got to be tough when you know you've got people in 30 different locations or whatever. All right? over the place. Yeah. So how do you how do you kind of create a cohesive message, a safety message for those folks about, you know, kind of delivering something that you would normally do in a conference room. Now you've got to do it, you know, on Zoom for, you know, umpteen different people. Yeah, it's a really hard question, to be honest. It's something that um, a lot of people don't want to tackle. And again, that to make it easier, that's why we're coming back into the workplace or into the brick and mortar. Um, but I will say that it's, it's doable through consistency, understanding what you want first, and then having a plan and making sure you stick with it, right? Like making sure you understand your own vision and why you're doing what it, you do and having that that logic breathe through everything you do. How do you recommend I mean, I imagine companies should have done this by now because you know we're almost three years into this thing. But um, how? What's the best way to kind of figure out what you know your workers want in terms of like? Should you have a survey? Did you talk to them individually? Like, what do you you know what do you recommend or what have you seen that's worked? I guess is a better question over the last year. You know, in terms of really finding out like what people want as opposed to just assuming it or ordering them to come in. Yeah, it's a lot of what is working and not working at the same time. You can use surveys all day. Right. And I I promote surveys. Um, I hate taking them. Everybody else in the world hates taking them. Unless you are part of a rare group 
that gets a survey done and something happens from it. You're going to do more damage if you put out a survey and you let it be and you never respond to your um, employees or individuals based on what was said. Um, more people will just not tell the truth. They're not going to respond again. They're not going to participate. Right. I mean, we've all been there. So we understand that feeling. It's pretty rare where we don't have that feeling, where we have seen the results of it. When you start making that adjustment and, and do the low-hanging fruit, start like making the changes that they want, um, that you can make, that maybe aren't financially costly, that only provide like little things here and there, and then project plan to everybody else and have it be transparent, how you're going to accomplish the big tasks, mm -hmm. right? Um, trying to find out what people want is also really difficult because most of us don't know what we really want. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's the biggest hurdle. And if we are able to do a really good job in recruiting employees, that once we have our own vision of our organization set and we know how to consistently deliver that and constantly improve on it, then pulling in and attracting the people that you will be you know in line with that not as difficult anymore mm. right so what you're seeing is a lot of organizations kind of not flailing but they're they're kind of wishy-washy on what it is that they want because they're like well we want to give you what we, you want because we're having retention issues or right. we're having recruitment issues so we're just kind to like here's some bean bags or you know right, yeah. here's some free lunch or something it was a stress ball <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and upon hiring we're gonna give you this uh, yeah no it's it's not necessarily what they want um people want to you know maybe they want to make an impact in some way do you have your esg aligned to be able to compensate for that or what are your social tools that you're using in your community that represent what you want right so you attract what you need sorry the old ways, i'm sorry the old ways of kind of incentivizing people don't necessarily work anymore because you know because of you know what we're dealing with you know you can't just say hey you know uh we're gonna have a pizza party you know at the end of the month if you guys meet your goals you know like it's not <laughs> so tired like, of pizza parties. <laughs> I'll, I'll order a pizza on my own thank you but uh you know yeah, I, got pizza, don't worry. <laughs> yeah yeah but um you know, I, so I, I just imagine, you know, going hand in hand with the messaging, right? Being clear about what you want to do and how you're going to do it. You can't just send out an email anymore, right? And you've got to, right. and you've got to find different ways to get people motivated. True, uh, motivation in your organization is probably going to be one of the hardest things that you're going to have because it's not just in the flash pan moment. You're talking motivation that creates commitment. You're talking motivation that creates, you know, in employees loyalty and, and, you know, not just buy-in because they're not buying something. They want to be a part of something. Right. So, um, so how important, uh, and I guess this is sort of moving on to 2023 trends is mm -hmm. leadership support and investment in safety. You know, like what are sort of, you know, what should leadership be doing in this new year about, you know, Get, again, with messaging, I suppose, but also just, you know, getting the message across that, you know, we support in safety. This is what we're doing. You know, what are the kinds of things that leadership has to do to kind of, you know, illustrate that? Start walking the walk and talking the talk, right? It's it's more about what you, it's less about what you say and it's more about what you do. Um, if you're a part of a leadership team and 
you're the person, I can't tell you how many times I did it. If you're the person that walks through and makes a mistake and you didn't have your mask on, or if you didn't have your eye protection on or whatever the case is, and you're, you're that person that's supposed to represent a leader, maybe not the safety person, but just a leader in that organization, and you're the one not doing it, you're saying way more that day than you are saying uh, when you put out an email or if you have a company-wide conversation with people or even a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You know, nobody wants to talk back to a lot of the leaders. They don't want to lose their jobs or they don't want to, you know, push back too hard. They're just going to probably leave or they're going to just not be a part of it or just do a top, you know, that dog and pony show conversation where they're like, oh, I'll do it really well in front of you. But the second you walk away, I'm not doing a dang thing because right. right. neither, you know. So I think that leadership should really start. Um, I again, this is what we work with with the leadership teams is how do we start taking more accountability for ourselves? Um, in that role and make it non-negotiable. And a lot of the times we're finding success in making it a part of the company culture rather than a separate part of the company, right? Celebrating safety is wonderful. Incentivizing it gets scary. Mm -hmm. um, and then you put it aside in its own little thing and call it a safety culture. It really gets the, e the easiest way is to be able to throw it out um, if it's on its own. So if you make it part of the company culture and it's a non-negotiable and it's a thing that you do and say on a regular basis, we've seen a lot of success from that. And when I say a lot, just about every every uh, group I've had the opportunity and to work with has been able to maintain that. So yeah, basically, safety isn't just its own separate thing; it's part of everything. Everything and everyone. Yeah. Right? It's not just one person. I want you to be safe today, but you, I'm not too worried about, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We'll worry about you tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, tomorrow we'll talk about you. It's your day in the sun tomorrow. So it's not, that's not always the case. Um, you know, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, ESG, um, obviously a huge buzzword these days. Are, mm -hmm. are companies really understanding the full scope of ESG and what it entails? Because it's huge. It's not just you know, sustainability, environmental stuff. I mean, there's so much that it's involved with it, right? So much. And it's, it's crazy how just five years ago, I'm going to, I can't lie. I didn't even know that much about it. Right. And then you start getting immersed in it and it starts becoming a part of everything you do in your personal and professional life. And it is so very important in even re retention and recruitment issues. Right. And it's, it's incredible how much companies and organizations on your top line executive level are actually not embracing all of it. Like they'll pick right. and choose little moments that they're like, yeah, we'll do that right now. You know, like we have to report because we're publicly traded. So therefore we're going to, we're going to report. Start a recycling it. program. But yeah. yeah, exactly. But then you're seeing some of these really innovative, um, flexible companies right now diving into it without having the requirements yet, right? So they're already having their 25 year plan to reduce certain number down to a zero carbon footprint. You see on Google every single day and none of us realize it, how they've been um, carbon neutral since 2007 or something. Like I, mm. we've been seeing this for every day, several days of our life. How many times do you get on Google? Um, right. Right. 
a lot of these companies aren't realizing the impact it's making on the people that are not just investing in businesses, but investing their time, their energy, their um, desire to work with them or work for these companies, even if you're not required to report on it. And it's how do you treat your employees? How do you treat um, all of your vendors and the people that you are contracted to work with? What does that look like? And the it's endless. <laughs> like it's such a beast in just a little acronym too. I feel like it's part of the of the problem is that you know it's just not like a, an easy way to just score it. Like you don't just you know you can't just no. sort of say all right you know it's not like your credit score where you're like oh I'm I'm you know I'm at seven eighty two or whatever. Like it's it's literally like yeah. there's so many. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said I want that score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like you know, the social part, like kind of, let's talk about, you know, we've, we've talked about environmental, but, you know, talk about sort of the social part and, and the, and the governance part, like, you know, there's a lot involved there. And I think people don't really know a, what exactly they need to do and then b how to measure whether yep. they're even doing a good job. Well, and I, I, I don't know if there's like good points of measure on that social portion, right? right. We don't, there's no true metric. It, it's going to be completely subjective yeah, to the person either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are yeah. you doing anything at all? Yeah. That's a big talking. Like, are or are you only doing things for clients? Are you only doing things that show really good numbers to investors without realizing that people might be looking at how you treat your employees too, right? How are you rated as far as your employees are talking? Because people are actually caring now. I think it was on... Um, nerd wallet they did a whole section an article on how you know important it is when you're placing your investments and we're talking about people that will be investing for the next 40 50 years because they're starting young right. where do you want to be on that scale if that's a part of what they're talking about that's what they're talking about right now is how do you treat people how do you treat your employees what does it look like when you're dealing with investors or what does it look like when you're dealing with contractors and um, they have numbers. Every a lot of these things are public. Your OSHA 300 is mm -hmm. public, right? Yeah. And they're looking at these things now to determine what 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 are you doing and what does that look like? Are you taking an active role in your community, right? Like it, it's just it's shocking to see how much they've actually put time and effort into what you should be looking for and how that's shifted from 20 years ago and. The expectations are dramatic. So what would you recommend for businesses that haven't done a lot with ESG um, in terms of just like learning about it and, and then next steps? Look at the whole picture. I start there. Understand that it's a bigger beast than you want it to be and take it <laughs> bite by bite, right? Like there's a dedicate somebody to like different people to having little pieces so that it doesn't overwhelm just one yeah, person. Yeah, it shouldn't be on one person, yeah. No, this isn't your safety officer. Yeah. And we should never have safety officers. But that's a totally different subject. Yeah. Um, there's there's an opportunity here to have your marketing team involved, to have your um, R&D team involved, or you know whatever facet of your company, you have several departments that actually get directly affected by this. Involve them because it's not just one person. Mm -hmm. It's not just one department. It's so many of them put together. Um, yeah, that's good advice. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is using data properly to help safety efforts. 
Um, how would you kind of, I mean, I guess, let's start off with how have you seen companies use data and are, are they doing it the right way to, to kind of boost safety? I guess it depends on the message that they're trying to understand. Uh, we have a lot of companies out there really looking at their TRI or numbers and determining whether or not they're successful. Like in construction companies, it will determine what contracts they get. And I can appreciate that 100%. Um, so a lot of it is about claims management. Uh, but if you shift that, being able to also look at the full picture, we make really big decisions when we only know a very small portion of the of the situation, right? Mm -hmm. We don't ask the big questions or the right questions, or we ask very detailed questions in one only section. Mm -hmm. So um, I would challenge as many people as I can to please, please, please look at the soft and hard metrics. There are several sides to an organization and how successful they are with their safety numbers. Um, just because you had an incident or a recordable uh, does not mean that you're not successful. It means that there's an opportunity and jump at that opportunity to make changes, but do more when you can to mitigate them upfront. And that really means that you're looking at how people are working and how they feel about work and how, I know these words feelings are really hard for a lot of organizations <laughs> really? to hear, but I know the, the EQ, the bar for EQ should be raised 100% of the time. Um, if you think that you're conscientious, really look at yourself and maybe I know that I'm not as conscientious um, as I would like to be, but if we're all on that same page, there's like wonderful books from um, Adam Grant, Think Again, that really, you know, can be a game changer for people or um, The Infinite Game. It was another really good one that really got people looking at this differently from um, Simon Sinek and, you know, just find resources, educate yourself and then grow from it. And that way we can start making better, more full picture decisions that can have a better, better bigger impact. Yeah, because conversely, your your numbers may look good in terms of incidents, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing a good job in safety. It just means you're lucky, right? It means it means you're lucky right yeah. now, or it means that you've got somebody that is hiding or lying or you know what I mean? Like there's I've seen some shady things in my time and I feel like I haven't been in the business near as long as a lot of other people that have probably seen way worse for way longer. And if I've just seen in this little moment in time in this small sample size, what I've seen, I can only imagine what's going on out there. So, and if you're not um, hearing about things like near misses, you know, like you're, that's not necessarily right. going to show up, show up on the stat sheet unless you're really looking for them or having, you know, people are comfortable enough to report them. Right? right. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably an important thing is to get across that, you know, we just we don't just want to know when there's an injury. We want to know if there was almost an injury because that's yeah. And how can we need to be fixed? Yeah. Yeah. We can fix it sooner when nobody got hurt and then right. it never happens. Right. We 
we have a lot of conversations around and I've watched people get, you know, let go or put on warning because they're the new safety person. They came in with really great ideas. People felt comfortable going and reporting their injuries and doing that kind of stuff. And they're like, why do we have this massive increase now that you're here? Right. And it's like, no, you're going to see over the next year of a new safety person, if they have the right intentions, every time you're going to see a large, massive shoot up in your numbers because all of a sudden people are feeling secure in reporting what's happening or whatever's occurring to them. And it's not, it's not because they're bad. It's because they're right. good. In fact, <laughs> that's where you have to prepare, I guess, leadership to mm -hmm. say, Hey, you might see it. You know, these numbers go up because we're getting more information about what's really going on. So don't freak out when, you know, all of a sudden there's like a 75% increase in, you know, falls or something. Yeah. Or near misses. Like if those near misses shoot up, yeah. oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Right. Like then you really know you're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, what are some other things that you're kind of, you know, uh, expecting or, or look, looking at in 23? Hmm, man. What I'm expecting and hoping for <laughs> is much different than I think what we're going to see. I, I do still think we're on this path of being able to recognize that in the safety, um, occupational safety field, we have still a really great opportunity. And I don't know how long this window is going to be open, but um, that we we have focus. We have like organizations' attention mm -hmm. and. They want to make changes. We also have a whole generation that has hit the workforce that demands safety. And this is what we've been waiting for the whole time. And it's crazy how often I hear how frustrated safety people are with the new generation hitting the workforce because they're making them work more. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. There's some things that it's like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like, mm. But before you get frustrated, ask yourself like, are you wanting them to experience the same scary, you know, injury moments that other people have? Or are you glad that they're coming to you sooner? Right. right? And every time I know that I, I would be glad, don't get me wrong, I still get frustrated, <laughs> I'm sure. But there's, there's an opportunity that I hope that in the, the coming year, we really capitalize on looking at that positive side of each generation, every single thing that everybody is bringing to the table and focus on being able to communicate with one another, maybe using the same language. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that, that would help. <laughs> you know, like have those same key conversations around, this is still our main focus. Let's work together to get this done or accomplished or task, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be a, you know, a smoother year in terms of, you know, kind of making things happen. But, uh, you know, uh, thanks again uh, for joining me. Thank you so much again for having me. It was good talking to you. Yeah. That wraps up episode 137 of EHS on tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.